Hi, my name's India. This is Be More Orca, Buck the Menopause. Now, I'm not a medic, or an expert, or a celebrity. I'm just going through it myself. I was totally blindsided by my symptoms. I knew nothing about this stage of my life. And then I discovered neither did any of my friends. So I'm on a mission to find out everything I can, explore every avenue to help us manage our symptoms and get our lives back on track. One of the seemingly less talked about menopausal symptoms is dry eye. Whether that's irritated, scratchy eyes or ones that won't stop streaming, it can be totally debilitating for some women. In this episode, I'm talking to optometrist Harps Kular to find out what we can do about it. Hi, Harps. Thanks so much for coming and talking to me today. You're very welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Now, it was Deborah, who people might remember from episode two, who put us in touch with each other as she suffered with menopausal dry eyes and you are her optometrist. Afraid so. Guilty as charged. <laughs> She's quite a force of nature, isn't she, Deborah? She's awesome. Now, before we talk about that, and we will come on to menopausal dry eyes and eye health in general, I'd first like to hear about your menopause journey, as I think you've been hit quite hard, haven't you? Yeah, so I'm definitely perimenopausal, and I really struggled with the symptoms almost like to the day when I hit 40. I'm 42 this year and I just couldn't work out why things didn't suddenly just didn't feel so good. And I had this plethora list of symptoms that I was going through and I just really couldn't really work it out. And to me, I didn't know what perimenopause was. I just thought it's just menopause. Yeah. And things just stop. I'm like, what's this peri bit? And then I don't really remember how I suddenly started reading about it, but it was Louise Newsom was doing some early PR stuff on it. I started reading about it and then I got her app, the Balance app. And that was it. That was like, oh, 39 symptoms and signs of perimenopause. Keska say is this. Tick, 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 tick. Nine o'clock every night. The notification would come up. What have you had experience today of? And I was like, oh, all of these. And I was in a bit of denial, I think. Just thinking, I'm only 39, 40. How is it happening so far? And then my immediate thought was, my personality is, there's a problem here, let's fix it. But the fixable options weren't available to me because my GP was like, oh no, you haven't got this, you're fine. So you went to your GP and said, I'm experiencing all these. Did you go with the Balance app saying, look, here are my symptoms or had you not? I think I approached the GP first and then I found the app afterwards is what I can remember. Right. I think I blocked it out memory-wise because it was too traumatic. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember talking to a GP over the phone because they were still doing phone appointments only because of lockdown. And then I said, this is what I'm experiencing. And she said, well, why do you think you're perimenopausal? I'm just like, because I am. And I had to really prove and justify to her why I felt the way that I did. And she said, well, 
We can do some blood tests, which I think she did to kind of appease me. Looking back now, I didn't know that's not a thing. You can't get a blood test for perimenopause. No, well, it doesn't show up very well. Yeah, it can be what time of day you do it, what day of the month you do it. Yeah, it's a lottery. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. So I was like, oh, she take me seriously. I'll be doing blood tests. Okay, great. And then the results came back. Everything was normal. And I just thought, well, I'm still not feeling great. And what sort of things were you suffering with at this point? Waking up drenched in sweat in the middle of the night. So you were having night sweats? Full on night sweats, absolutely drenched, have to get up and change all my pyjamas, all my underwear, because I was just soaking wet. And yet still the GPs were saying it's not menopause. I've said it many times on this podcast, that idea that if you go with all the sort of vague perimenopausal symptoms, they go, well, it could be a myriad of things. But if you go with night sweats, that's like your cast iron. That's a pretty big indicator. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't every single night. It was intermittent. More frequently was low mood, broken sleep, really broken sleep. And I'm generally a really good sleeper. So that was a really big hitter. Muscles and my legs ached. I had joint pain. I had eczema randomly on one palm of my hand only and only at certain times of the month. But the biggest thing that hit me was memory loss and brain fog. I'm a pretty capable person in my job generally. But when I'm talking to a patient, and I'm just thinking, what did you say? Like, you just told me something and I can't remember what you just said. Or I'd walk into a room in my house and say, why am I here again? Like, what, what did I come here for? And I just thought, is this dementia? I know, I really thought, this does not feel normal in any respect. And then it came to a head and I spoke to another GP and I said, I feel really flat in my mood. Oh, I had permanent PMS for the entire month. I was horrible to my husband and my children. Usually I'm a bit grotty, like a day or two a month. I can kind of cope with that. But, you know, patience of a gnat, like this little patience, it was awful. And then I called my GP, really tearful. It's a different GP I spoke to. And I said, I feel like walking out on my husband and my children. I feel like leaving them. I just don't feel right in myself. And then, you know, she's really empathetic, different GP, empathetic, lovely. Well, I think it sounds like this. I said, I've got the app. This is what I think I'm having, all these different symptoms. And she said, okay, what do you want? And I said, what have you got? (laughs) Exactly. I said, how does it work? And give me everything. And it was just just revolutionary. And and it shouldn't have to be a battle. That was about a six-month battle that I had to try and manage my mood manage my my temper, manage who I am, suffering through all these things for about six months. And being told that you're too young, this isn't what you're experiencing. And also it really impacting your work and your family life. If you got to a point where you were saying, I'm really seriously thinking about walking out, not just, I mean, I did the thing in my story in episode one, I, yeah, I blew up and walked out of the house and walked around and round and round. But you were actually thinking, I have to leave. I need to leave. I need to leave because... I didn't feel understood, didn't feel listened to. And I just thought, what's wrong with me? I'm not normally like this. And I think that was the scariest thing, is knowing this isn't normal for me. And then not being listened to by a medical professional. I'm a healthcare professional. If someone presents to me these symptoms, I can't dismiss them and say, oh, you're too young. You might be too young. But it might still be a thing that you've got to take seriously. Somebody might be too young for cataracts. They might still have them. Yeah. But it's still there. But it might be unusual for them. And that's okay too. And I just felt, I, I felt really let down by the first GP that I had to go through that. And I really feel when women come into my practice now 
and they're going through these things. Like I'm talking to them as a woman, not as an optician. I'm just saying, are you hormonal? Are you perimenopausal? I'll start it off by saying, can I ask you a personal question? And they're like, yeah. And I just say, are you perimenopausal? And they're like, I don't know, but I think I might be. And I'm like, right, I should print a checklist for you guys. You need these, 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 these things here. Research it. This is what you got to do because I really feel it's important to empower other women. Absolutely. And that idea that the majority of us all say, I don't know, but I, I, I think I might. it might be something, this idea that we should be armed with the knowledge so that, as you say, in your late 30s, you know it's on the horizon whenever it hits you. It might not hit you till your 50s, but it might hit you in your 40s, quite soon, as you said, in your 40s. And therefore, it's something that we should all know about in our 30s, isn't it? So that we're forearmed. There is no education about this when we were at school. At school, it was all about getting pregnant. There was nothing later on about infertility or menopause, which is what happens to old women, bitter night sweats, get on with it, love. You know, the education that we're not given of all the different phases that we go through as women, it's just pregnancy. That's it. Because that's the assumption that we're going to go through. Actually, other things happen as well. And I think it's a shame that isn't in the curriculum. I think it is now. Is it really? Well, I think as of 2020. Okay. Bad time to start it, I grant you, just in the middle of COVID. But yeah, I think the amazing Diane Danzebrink, who started Make Menopause Matter. Awesome. And she has got it in legislation that it is now a part of the curriculum. How much... I will be discovering whether it's a line told to 14-year-old girls. This is what happens in puberty. Oh, don't get pregnant. Oh, and actually, yeah, this might happen to you. Well, it would be good, you know, because right now you're 14. Your mum might be a bit older. She might be going through this right now. Have a bit of, have a bit of empathy, girls. Your mum's struggling too. Yeah, there's hormones <laughs> abounding. Yeah, yeah. Have you got daughters? Yeah. I have eight-year-old twins. I've got a boy and a girl. So, yes, I am mindful that I didn't want to be awful around my children because I'm perimenopausal. So, yeah, that is a thing that they should be aware of. And I'm not always in control. My hormones are doing their own thing sometimes. And so will your hormones do that to you sometimes as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're not always in control. And so you're on HRT now. Yes. You're on a gel and then a progesterone tablet. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And how is that for you? Has it helped? Within two days, India, within two days, I felt back to normal again. It's ridiculous. I said to my husband, so darling, been on this HRT for a couple of weeks now. What do you think? And he was really quiet for a few moments. And he goes really quietly goes, well, your moods are better. (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) That's just ridiculous, right? That he is like, oh, okay, this is working. And now he's become more aware of it. He talks to our patients more. He's also an optician like I am as well. So he talks to patients and women and he says, actually, my wife went through this. So he can be more empathetic and share what his wife went through with patients at the same time as well. So it's a win-win on all levels, isn't it? The education needs to be out there for everyone, not just women, everyone. It really does. I read something on Instagram, I think it was India, and it said something like, any woman over the age of 40 who has drive and ambition is on HRT. I just thought, (laughs) yeah, they're right. I I get it. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Because to just kind of like sail through it and just kind of cope, looking back now, remembering my mum who was going through this incredibly forgetful. And my dad would shout at her for losing her keys. He's like, you know, why can't you put them back where you normally put them? And she was just 
mega forgetful. But she said, but I had no symptoms. I'm like, yeah, you did. That was a symptom. Well, you would have just muddled along. I think we'd have all just muddled along thinking, oh, well, this is just me. So you don't attribute it because it's so vague, some of the symptoms, unless, as you say, you're waking up in the muck sweat, then you might be like, oh, okay. Yeah, she had no symptoms, nothing at all. That to her was visible. Yeah, exactly. Looking back, she might have just thought, I'm just getting old. Yeah. And she's a pharmacist, so she would have just thought menopause, HRT, for women who are struggling with symptoms. And she wasn't, in her eyes. No, in her eyes, yeah. And then a big trigger for me to go on HRT is that she now has osteoarthritis because she never went on any HRT. And that was a big thing for me. It was actually, how can I look after myself and protect myself for the future? I don't want to have to go through what my mum went through. Part of the reason why I was so open to HRT was exactly the same thing. I knew that my maternal grandmother had osteoporosis. And as you say, you now wonder, well, would she have had it if she'd been on HRT? Possibly not. I mean, who knows? But, you know, this idea that there's a history of it in your family, you think, well, actually, is that just because there were so many women going through the menopause without any HRT and therefore it's more prevalent? So it's a really good point. We are future-proofing ourselves for the future. Exactly. Now, I didn't realise how much our hormones affect our eyes throughout our life. You were talking about puberty earlier. Yeah. So young women entering puberty, is this correct? There's an increase in nearsightedness as a direct result of an increase in oestrogen. I was reading that on the Women's Health Concern website. When you say nearsightedness, do you mean can't see for close up? Oh, you see, I was having this debate with a friend of mine. Which is near and which, which is, is farsighted? Far, yes. It's like, does farsighted mean I can see far away or I can't see far away? And that's why I have to check with patients. What do you mean nearsightedness? What can't you see? And I'll work it out from there. Which, which bit you're struggling with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we would call it being myopic where you're short-sighted right which means you can't see distance vision but you can see close up right so i take nearsightedness to mean that you can't see close up but you can see distance vision is what i'm assuming it means from that well i'm afraid that i just got that from a website so i don't know what they meant either do you know about this change with estrogen levels and then apparently pregnant women with the increase in progesterone they can that can cause blurred vision yes and then women entering the menopause, there's a decrease in nearsightedness. That's tricky because, so being nearsighted, so having difficulty for close-up vision, that's really common when you get to your 40s anyway. Everyone will go through that. Men and women combined will go through that where they can't see for close-up vision. Muscles of your eyes don't work very well to help focus for close-up. They need extra help. In terms of the blurred vision when you're pregnant, that's quite right. Being pregnant can affect your prescription. So if women are struggling with a bit of blurry vision, we say, look, this is a temporary thing. Have another eye test three months after you've given birth to see if that change was a real change or is it just a temporary thing that you were going through because of your hormones? Wow. So hormones do affect the eyes. For sure. Yeah. So I was reading an article because I thought, hmm, better do some homework for this. <laughs> well, thank you very much for doing your homework. You're, you're very welcome. Lovely. I really should have <laughs> as an optician. <laughs> and actually, during menopause, the production of androgen, estrogen, and progesterone all drop. And all of those things influence dry eyes. So you need all three of those hormones for different parts of your tears. And when they all drop, like they will do in menopause, different issues happen with dry eyes in terms of the producing of certain oils and certain lipids, for example, that will have an influence on dry eye. And I cannot tell you how much dry eye I see. It is raging. 
Well, you see, I had no idea until Deborah mentioned it. I had no idea it was such a symptom, but it's obviously an incredibly common symptom for women in menopausal age, let's say that. It really is. And the problem with dry eye is there isn't only one thing that impacts dry eye. So there's lots of environmental factors that cause dry eye, but then being menopausal is just another thing to add to the list that makes it even worse. So you can do all the you know environmental improvements. So for example, things that can cause dry eye, aircon on and the heating on, difference in temperature. If you're using a screen, using any devices, they will make your eyes dry out more because you blink less. And the idea of blinking is spread the tears across the front of your eyes. When you aren't blinking as much, tears evaporate in the environment around you, atmosphere, and then you're not blinking enough. Not drinking enough water, that can cause dry eyes. If you wear contact lenses, that can cause dry eyes. And then if you are then having reduced sex hormones, that will also cause dry eyes. So if you can you know, improve your screen usage, your water, the air con, but you've still got dry eyes, you can't change your hormones overnight unless you're taking something to help that, for example. So you can only do so much until you need extra help with it. And because we've seen so much dry eye, we have now launched a dry eye clinic specifically for dry eye patients because they struggle with it. So because it's, a, it's so painful when you have extreme dry eye, it's so painful. Imagine how many times you blink in 10 seconds. If you've got dry eyes, it might be three times you blink in 10 seconds. And every time you blink, it hurts and it's scratchy and it's irritable and it's sore and it feels like your eyes are glued together and you can't focus on stuff. That's really painful. And, as you say, completely debilitating. How do you carry on your day-to-day life if every time you blink, which is something that we all do completely automatically, you are in pain? So what do you do in your specific clinic then? So what we've done is we've invested in some kit that helps us to assess the tears in a lot of detail, which has been really helpful. So we'll go through a questionnaire. How are you impacted by dry eyes? How does it impact on your daily life? We'll then do some assessments on that equipment So we can make videos of your tears, for example. We can measure how many glands you've got in your upper and lower lids because having a loss of glands will also make dry eye issues because you haven't got enough glands to produce the oils that you need in your tears. So we can measure how much loss of glands you've got. We can do like a heat map of the front of your eyes to see where your eyes are drying out the most. And then we'll go through like a regime and we'll start it really simple and then we'll up the ante according to what level we're working with. But it might take, you know, a couple of sessions. So we'll do that first, give like a two-month treatment plan, then review it again, then do the videos, the heat map, everything else again. We can then put them side by side and we can then see is it making a difference enough. Sometimes, you know, entry-level stuff like using some dry eye drops is enough. Sometimes you need the gel version of the drops because you need something a little bit more viscous. Sometimes you need supplements and they've made a big difference in Omega 3, 6 and 7s, for example, has to be really good quality supplements. And then there's stuff that we're not doing yet. We haven't got it in practice yet. But then you can have laser light therapy. You can have IPL to help stimulate your tears and to help stimulate the glands again, to help them grow again, for example. And you can also get plugs put into your lower lid. So on your lower lid, you've got a really tiny little hole. And if you have really watery eyes, your tears aren't staying where they should do. You can put a plug in. It lasts for about six months and your eyes don't stream as much. You see, that's another thing as well, isn't it? That some women get really watery eyes and their eyes are constantly streaming. And It's a total oxymoron because a watery eye is a dry eye because your tears don't stay where they should do. Therefore, your eyes are watering, which sounds mental. And women say to me, they have to walk around with a hanky 
and they dab their eyes and people think they're crying they're looking at prices in the supermarket <laughs> <laughs> although there, there is reason to cry when we look at prices in the supermarket at the moment bread was so cheap five years ago <laughs> they start weeping at the price of bread no it's not it's because you've got water you've got dry eyes or they take the dog for a walk and when it's windy their eyes stream then it ruins your makeup or they can't wear eye makeup or it dries your skin out. And, you know, there's so many different layers to it. We don't give it much consideration until we start asking questions. And you've obviously had enough people. Is it people coming through your door or is it mainly women coming through your door that's made you set up this specific clinic? Mainly women in the dry eye consultation. So people will book a dry eye consultation if they have tried other things already or if they want something that's really specific and targeted. So you can have a very simple dry eye assessment, but there's not enough time in an eye test to do it all and do a prescription check and everything else as well. So we like to have like a good 45 minutes just talking about this. And I've had women who are, you know, really emotional, like no one's ever listened to me about this. No one believed me. No one's taking me seriously about my dry eyes. And I'm like, it's 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 really debilitating. And they've been in tears, not because they've got a dry eye, but they've been in tears because they're feeling like, oh, I'm being listened to. Well, as you said, your experience with your GP, it was that thing of actually what you really wanted was just not to be gaslit and not to be told you're not feeling what you're feeling and actually to be listened to. And isn't that a common thread in everything that we want as women to be listened to? Yeah. And what a shame. That's a thread that we have to think about. I want to take me seriously and listen to my symptoms. Exactly, exactly. And in 2023, we shouldn't still be fighting for that, should we? But hopefully things are starting to improve. Yeah, I think things are improving. So for example, I got my last HRT prescription using the certificate. Yeah, the certificate's good, isn't it? But I still felt a bit shortchanged, India. I just thought, why am I paying 19 quid for this? We're not charging diabetics for their hormone. no. We're not charging thyroid potions for their hormones. Why do I have to pay 19 quid? Granted, NHS isn't unlimited as well. I respect that too. But these hormones are so important to us to future-proof the NHS in the future. You know, what if somebody hasn't got £19? Exactly. And as you say, it's the future-proofing it. It does help with cardiovascular disease. They're looking into stroke now and dementia and bone health. All these things that are considered older women's issues, osteoporosis, as we said, we can stop the NHS having to be so overwhelmed with all of these. I get that it's not a bottomless pit of money. I completely get that. But I still felt, okay, this is better than me paying. 15 quid you know every three months or whatever but I still felt short chain thinking as a woman why do I have to pay for this for my hormones and I'm pretty sure when it was first advertised first came out press releases it said it was going to be 18 pounds something and then suddenly it was 19 pounds 30 and I thought oh that's slightly more than I remember it being when I first read about this when the receptionist at the pharmacy told me about it I just raised an eyebrow and I was like oh the patriarchy strikes again for my hormones and she's like I feel you, love. I feel you. (laughs) And she's like, tell me about it. I do quite like the little sort of stroppy club that we are now all part of. (laughs) I am fully bona fide member of that stroppy club. (laughs) Any, Any excuse that I have. Anyway, it is what it is. I can't change it from this point of view, but I can support, is it Carolyn Harris, the MP? Yes, yeah. I will support her and I will sign their bills and petitions and stuff. I don't know what else I can do. No, we just need to keep putting our voices to it. And and getting back to eyes, mm-hmm. lack of oestrogen has an effect on eye pressure as well, does it? 
Glaucoma is an eye disease and it affects women slightly more than men. And glaucoma can be linked with high eye pressures. You can have normal eye pressure. You can also have low eye pressure and still have glaucoma. So I guess there is some work to be done in terms of those who have low tension glaucoma, low pressure glaucoma, which is quite unusual. Glaucoma is really to do with high eye pressure. Is that because it affects women more because of the lack of hormones, for example? I think it's still pretty new, but that's what I can kind of deduce from that. Because I thought glaucoma was to do with increased pressure, so yes. it changes the shape of your eyeball. And so actually, lack of oestrogen makes low pressure, does it? So you're, you're, I'm, I'm doing a sort of balloon shape with my hands. You'd think I would learn <laughs> not to do hand gestures on a podcast, wouldn't you? Still not. But I'm imagining it's sort of a squishy ball your eye becomes with lack of oestrogen, or am I oversimplifying things? I think oversimplifying it respectfully, because there's so many variable factors in something like glaucoma, for example, it's hard to isolate the one thing only. So for example, other risk factors for glaucoma, if you're a woman, if you're Afro-Caribbean in heritage, if you're over 40, you've got a family history of a direct relative, so a parent, a sibling or a child with glaucoma, you're more at risk at the same time as well. If you are quite short-sighted, so it's really hard when you're having like a trial or you're doing subject studies to take out all of those other things. And it's like, okay, all I want is just woman only, but take everything else out. That's not an easy thing to isolate in your subjects because there's so many factors that contribute to something like glaucoma. You're absolutely right about highlighting the fact that it's very easy to take these trials and studies and say, oh yes, extrapolate this, this and this, therefore, and actually you're not looking at causality and you're not looking at other factors that play a huge part. I think essentially what we can deduce is it ain't easy being a woman when you're getting older. <laughs> it will affect your entire body in some way or other. Yes, exactly. There is no escape from this. What we can do is support and highlight and give advice and share experience to help people get through this. And so how can we improve our eye health then moving forward? If, if, if these things are all on the horizon for us as women of a certain age, then what can we do to help our eye health? The biggest thing I would say is UV protection. So exposure to UV light. So UV is in the atmosphere all the year round, even when it's cloudy, even when it's raining, even in the winter. Okay. And the two biggest things that UV are linked with is cataracts, and macular degeneration. So if you want to improve your eye health, wearing sunglasses or having a clear UV coating on your glasses are the biggest things that you can do. So I have a clear UV coating on my specs. You can't see it. I can't see it, but I know it's definitely there because I'm very mindful that having the UV protection will defend me from having cataracts. It won't stop it from happening. It will slow the progress down. I didn't even know that was a thing. I mean, I wear glasses and I don't know whether I've got UV film on mine. So if you wear your glasses indoors and they're reading glasses, look, you don't need UV protection. Okay. If you're outdoors, that's when you need a UV. You can get UV protection in three different ways. A clear coating, glasses that change colour with the light, the ones that go dark or go light, transitions, and sunglasses. Any sunglasses you buy in this country, whether they cost 10 quid or they cost 3,000 quid, will still give you UV protection because our British standards in this country for sunglasses, it's very high British standards. So you know when you might go abroad and you might see people who are selling sunglasses off the street, like, you know, the dodgy ones, they may have a tint in them, but unlikely to have any UV protection in them. And the problem with that is when you have a tint in your lenses, your pupils get bigger to allow more light in. Pupils get bigger, you've got no UV protection, you're going to cause more damage. So whenever you buy sunglasses, make sure they're going to be really good quality. Make sure they've got UV protection built into them. In this country, not a problem. When you buy them from abroad, 
you've got to be a little bit more careful. Sunglasses are your only option if you don't wear glasses, obviously. So you're just going to have to go full celeb mode and wear your dark glasses all year round. People will think, celebrity walking down the high street, who does she think she is? <laughs> Look, it doesn't matter anymore because everyone wears sunglasses. Compared to 20 years ago when I first qualified, I said, do you wear sunglasses, Mrs. Jones? Yes, dear. Only when I'm abroad. And I'm like, What? It's the same sun. Why is the sun abroad different to the sun in this country? You're still going to get UV light exposure. And I think we've become much better at that as a country, wearing sunglasses more. It used to be if you were a poser, you'd wear sunglasses. And now they're all like, oh, I want to protect my eyes. I want to look good. I want to be able to see. And it's much more accepted now. Well, I didn't realise that UV light had such a, an effect on things like cataracts. Cataracts and macular degeneration. Again, other factors that affect macular degeneration but cataracts is mainly UV light exposure and maturity. So interestingly, I had a patient last week, mid-80s. Now, cataracts is the most common mid-70s, but we see people who are in their 60s, to be honest. This guy was mid-80s, minimal cataracts. I've never seen him before, minimal cataracts. And I was like, sir, I'm really impressed. You've got hardly any cataracts. And then I looked at his glasses and they changed colour. We always have such changing colour ones. He goes, yes, since I was about 40. I said, that's the reason why you've got minimal cataracts coming on. You're in mid-80s because you've always had changing colour lenses. And he even he said, I didn't know that. I got for the convenience. Yeah, yeah, not taking them on and off all the time, yes. He just wanted one pair to do everything. I was like, well, this is the reason why. I know it works, but it's still nice to see. And you touched on it earlier, supplements. So good quality supplements. What supplements should we be taking for our eyes? There is a plethora, naturally supplements that are out there. And there are some that you can take to give protection against macular degeneration, for example. So there are some you can take just for general eye health. Most popular ones are things called MacuShield and eye caps. They have antioxidants in them that have been proven to help reduce the risk of macular degeneration, for example. With regard to dry eyes, it's got to be omegas. So, you know, the Mediterranean diet has lots of olive oils and oily fish and stuff, and that contains a certain omega. And I always get confused which one it has. I think it's got, I think they've got more omega-6. And in the British diet, we have too much omega-3. So too much omega-3, not enough 6. So you need supplements to help boost the amount of 6 that we have. And research has recently shown that I think it's omega-7 is like a new thing now as well. It's always changing and it's really hard to keep up with it sometimes, but Having some kind of supplements, talking to your eye care professionals, doing a bit of research for yourself as well. There are loads out there. And the problem is you can't always prove it's going to work. So sometimes you're taking them blindly, excuse the pun, because (laughs) you don't know whether it would have worked any better if you hadn't taken them. The research shows that obviously it makes an improvement. But again, there's so many factors that are involved in something like that. So many variables. Essentially, will it do harm? No. I'm aware that we're running out of time, but what would be your one big piece of advice for a menopausal woman suffering with her eyes? Seek advice. And if you're not happy with the advice that you had in front of you, go somewhere else. Specifically, don't just say, I was given some drops, they didn't work, that's it, I'm doomed. There are always options. Find a dry eye specialist. Just Google dry eye specialists in my area or dry eye opticians. And there are lots of us who do this out there and you can get the right support for this. There are options. You haven't got to struggle. You haven't got to suffer through this. So there are lots of dry eye clinics then, actually. More and more because we're seeing it so much more now. We really are. And is the best thing for us all to do 
is to keep having regular eye tests? At least once every two years. And people might say, you know, I buy my glasses over the counter. That's your choice to do that. But an eye health checkup is different to just getting glasses. And people sometimes assume all we do is just sell glasses. Actually, we do so much more than that. We pick up eye disease. We can give you advice. We can talk about stuff. And, you know, we have a lot of time with our patients. We spend up to half an hour, 40 minutes with one patient. That's the most anybody spends time with their patient in primary care. So primary care is GPs, nurses, doctors, optometrists, dentists, and pharmacists. We spend the most amount of time with one patient at a time. So the things that patients talk to us about, because they've had time to connect, is more than people give credit for sometimes. And as you were saying, you're actually supporting and helping women through their menopause as well as with their eyes. It's an extraordinary thing you do. It's brilliant. Thank you. I really enjoy it. And I really love empowering other women to saying, you haven't got a struggle like I did. You can do this, this, this and this. These are your options. I point them all towards the balance app. But everyone's more familiar because there's been such good PR. Davina has made massive milestones in terms of talking about this on mainstream TV at primetime TV time. That's unheard of. You know, Louise Newsom is out there talking about this and being so proactive in normal newspapers and this morning, the TV show. And, you know, she's really getting it out there. So people are like, oh, you know what? I think I've got that. Or... My neighbour might have that, or my daughter's going through that. It's becoming much more accepted. So the conversation can only get better. You doing this, a podcast specifically about menopause, is freaking awesome, India. You know, like massively well done to you. Oh, well, thank you. No, I was in exactly the same boat as you. So I just, it hit me and smacked me around the back of the head, if I'm honest. I had no idea what was going on with me. And I got very close to thinking, you know, my life is falling apart. I need to leave my family. And that's just so wrong. And I thought, if I don't know anything about this, other people mustn't know anything about this. As you say, we need to get the conversation started. And we all need to realise that we're not going it alone. And that... There is an extraordinary amount of life left to live once we're out the other side of menopause and it's worth living. It is. And, you know, you haven't got to wait until the end to enjoy it. You can still go through it with the right support and the right medication or supplements or whatever you want to take. There are options out there. It's not a one size fits all solution, really, is there? No, absolutely not. As we learn more and more, <laughs> everyone's experience is totally different and, and women will have a completely different outcome. But as long as we're there supporting one another with whatever our choices are, that's the main thing, isn't it? Yeah, completely agree. There's no judgment. You do you. You do what works for you. You do you is a very nice way to end it. Thank you so much, Harps. It's been fabulous talking to you and everyone needs to go and get their eyes tested. Yes, you definitely should. Thank you for your time, India. I appreciate it. Oh, no, thank you for yours. It's been brilliant. Bye-bye. Next time, I'm talking to my fifth inspirational orca, Kate Muir creator and producer of the Davina documentaries and author of the incredible book Everything You Wanted to Know About the Menopause But Were Afraid to Ask. Kate, as you can imagine, doesn't shy away from tackling the big stuff. Our chat ranges from HRT and whether we should be on testosterone or not, the racial and socio-economic injustice and misogyny rife in medicine, to the glorious reboot menopause can be. 
She's just so knowledgeable and a force to be reckoned with. If you want to be more Orca, head to bemoreorcapod.co.uk. For all the latest on what's coming up, I've cherry-picked articles to keep you informed so you don't have to sift through the news. And become a member. Tell me what matters to you and what questions you want answering. Help shape the pod and help other women just like you so we never have to feel like we're going it alone again. And if you've liked this episode, please subscribe as it helps with those pesky algorithms and lets others find us and become part of our pod. And follow me at b.more.orca for my no-filter menopause diary. Listener.